you. And God, I pray that you would just give dad the confidence to say whatever it is that you want him to say and that we would just uh, listen and uh, not just be hearers of the word, but doers. God, I pray that uh, this morning, if there's anybody here that's lost, Lord, I pray that you would just open their eyes to see how good you are, Lord, and how much you love them and, and the measure that you've gone to, to to show them that. Lord, I pray that you would save their souls this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Three to seven can go. Everybody else open your Bible to Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29. I studied a lot of different texts this week and I actually didn't write down where I finished up, where I started this morning, and I just got up here and I was looking down at my notes and thinking, I have no idea where I'm preaching from. This is going to look terrible. So I started praying and going back over the ones, and I found it. I just didn't write it down. I was like, Lord, help. This has been a week, so I need you all to pray for me. I'm really nervous right now for some reason. You know, I've been preaching for 20 years and still just scared to death every time I get up here. Um, before we start, um, I want to have just a minute just to pray. Um, Spencer Pesky is with his daddy today, and if you know Paul, Paul's been battling cancer, and he's not doing good at all, and it's just a really huge, um, huge trial in that family's life, so... I'm going to put Brother Mike Kilgore on the spot. If everybody will just bow your head, lift up the pesky family, and Brother Mike Kilgore, if you pray for us, then we'll get started.
All right. Looking in, <coughs> looking in Second Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. I guess the reason I started study. If you want a good study, of the life of Hezekiah. He was a king over Judah, uh, and the Bible notes that there was no king like him before and none after. So God did honor him, even though at the end of his life he did make some foolish choices. I think as we all do. Uh, doesn't negate the fact that he was faithful to the Lord and, and, uh, was an honorable king and led Judah in a, in a time of great revival and reformation. And so I was looking at his life this week and that time during their, uh, period in history, uh, and I just kept, ba- I had to keep backing up, backing up, because I wanted to see where all of this came from. And so, so I ended up here in, in chapter 29 and, and just to give you some quick background, <coughs> Let me, let me read my text and I'll give you some background. It says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according all to that, uh, that his father David had done. I'll just stop right there. I'm looking at at the background of Judah. Now you remember Israel, uh, had parted or split for a time period in history, and you had the the upper kingdom, which was Israel, it was ten tribes, and the lower kingdom was Judah, which was two. And and so he was the king over Judah uh, during this time. And and honestly, Judah was in a, a wreck spiritually and physically. And and those two always go together. If you look at your life, it's in a wreck. You know, a lot of people negate or want to not pay attention to the source of it, which begins with the spiritual aspect of your life, whether it's your life, your family, a church. Uh, when you have something in, in life that's going bad and it's a wreck, a lot of times, you, most of the time, you need to look at the spiritual condition first because the outward uh, condition of your life is just a revelation of what's going on inside, okay? And so in that... They were in a terrible place. Uh, as the result of prior leadership, his daddy was Ahaz. It talks about him in chapter 28. We won't read all that for time's sake. Uh, but his daddy was king. He was an awful king. He was wicked. He had done away. He had, he had basically closed the doors of the temple. He had sold all the, the, uh, the, the pieces of the temple to other nations to try to buy their protection from their enemies, which didn't work. Uh, he had, he had taken and, and, uh, put altars on every corner, uh, of Jerusalem of false gods where they would also offer up worship to the false gods of all the surrounding countries. And so this, the nation was in just a horrendous place because of his leadership. Number one, with him, he was king. Uh, then you had the religious leadership of that day who, who the priests were corrupt. They did exactly what he told them to do. They just followed the king's leadership. And then you've got the people who simply followed that. And uh, so in that, I want you to see, start with, that, that your role, our role in leadership is so powerful and so influential. When I talk about leadership, whether it's the church, you know, the church plays a huge role in the leadership of our nation and of this community. It should. If it isn't, we're not functioning as a church as we should. We're here to be an influence and a light and to lead, not to follow or be influenced by the world. Whether it's leadership within the church, if you're a part of leadership within the church, you have a great role in, of influence 
importance and influence, hopefully influencing godliness and promoting Jesus and, and God's goodness and salvation and grace. But also, if you keep backing up uh, in this chapter, you'll see where it, where it gets away from the religious leader and it gets away from the kings and it breaks it all the way down to actually his family. And, and so I'm going to touch on that a lot this morning. I usually do. <clears throat> but but husbands, uh, given the God-given leadership role that you play in your family, when you look at your family and you see... Uh, hopefully it's not in a wreck and you, if it's headed that way, you know what, you can stop that and you can correct that through doing what the Lord has you to do. But, but you as a man, you influence your family. I think, I don't think we realize how much influence we have over our family and as parents, your influence that God has blessed you with over your children. And so in that leadership and, and even in, even in your network of, of people that you are around that you have influence on, God calls His people not to be followers of people. He calls us to be influencers. He calls us to be leaders. And, and so I wanted to look at this because here's the thing, uh, Judah, in this chapter is, is facing pending judgment from God because of the leadership, uh, that it has followed in that. Uh, God has already brought judgment about on the upper kingdom in Israel. And just stay with me. I'm giving you some information so you understand where this is coming from. But, but Assyria, the Lord, so patient and so good, had sent prophets and warned Israel time and time and time again to turn away from their false gods, to turn away from worshiping the gods of other countries, to turn Turn away from their sin and turn back to the Lord that he would be with them, that he would bless them, that he would show his glory to them. But they refused to listen to God's men. They refused to listen to the word of God and they continued in the route that they were going. And so Assyria came in. He, he they, they defeated it. the upper kingdom, took them captive. And so now you've got Judah who's getting the same message. God's like, look at Israel. Look at what has happened to them. They ignored me. And if you continue to go this way, the same thing or worse is going to happen to you because you've already got previous knowledge. In our life as leaders, we ought to be able to look and look at some examples in previous years, previous generations, and we either learn good things from it and we might learn bad things from it. But, but right now we need to rise up and pay attention in this because our nation is absolutely facing a pending judgment. We, we are honestly, I, would, I wouldn't even start by calling it a judgment, I would call it a reaping. You know, there's one thing in which God invokes judgment on people because of their disobedience, but usually first, before God's judgment comes, there's a reaping. Because the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to harvest. So, so if you look at our nation and you see all of the horrendous wickedness we have planted and we have sown, and I ain't just talking about the world, I'm talking about in the church among God's people, some of the things that we sow in our lives and the, and, and the things that we follow after and the ways that we live, make no mistake that in your life, you can't always go, oh, God's bringing about a judgment. No, God's already spoken a judgment over sin. And when you identify and partake in that sin, then you're going to reap what that sin has to give you in life. When you look at, <clears throat> at our nation, basically there is a, a few key things that molds and shapes 
the route that we're going in. And we are absolutely headed for a route of absolute destruction. Honestly, it scares me to death to think about what our kids and our grandkids uh, are, are facing in the years to come unless God's people take charge of this in which we can and God's word specifically shows that and maybe not even as a whole but in your family maybe your family is looking at you know you're reaping some of the consequences of sins and of disobedience and of ways that you've sown in life and you're and you continue to head down a path that's leading you you know to to a judgment you don't have to continue down that path God is good and merciful and he always wants to save us from that but you can't here's the thing you can't just you can't just say lord i recognize this and i'm sorry and god forgive me and keep going down that path you know i can be walking towards a cliff go god i know that i am headed for a cliff and i'm going to walk right off this cliff and i'm going to perish god forgive me for walking this way lord i'm so sorry you know what i'm saying there's a lot of people who think just because they ask for forgiveness that they're off the path and they're not the repentance means i'm going to forsake it i'm going to change i'm going to turn i'm going to put away uh that's what it means and but here's some of the things that, that I wrote down that uh, say, why is our, our nation in the shape that it's in? Because we follow the leadership, number one, of man's philosophy. And three things, the three things that, that shape this country and its thought process, and honestly, I believe it's a lot within God's people. Number one is man's philosophy. A lot of that's brought about about education through the means of education, not that I'm against education. But man puts a lot of his philosophy, it puts a lot of his philosophy in our kids and through school, through college, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and education now, a lot of the higher education, it's not about education. It's about tearing down your Christian faith. It's about mocking God who it is and, and, and trying to make God's people look crazy. But, but that's the way Satan influences the mind. The second way, and I think it's the main way, is Hollywood and entertainment. Hollywood, if the devil wants to mold, and I'm talking about over a period of time, some of you who are my age, some of you who are older than me, you look back from the time that you were younger until the time where you are here now, okay? Think about some of the things that we are seeing that maybe the younger kids don't think nothing about it, maybe some of the teenagers don't go, that's just the way it always been. No, it ain't. This country hadn't always nowhere near been some of the things that, that I'm seeing that I thought, how could this happen? And I look back, and a little bit at a time, I can remember a little bit of time, the devil would put a seed through through Hollywood, through movies, TVs, news, whatever way you want to go. But through watching that TV, and through entertainment, and through music, and whatever, all of a sudden, a lie begins to be sown into the minds of people. And over a little bit at a time, we begin to experience accept it, we let it go, we ignore it, it becomes a normal, and we become a part of it. You know, and, I, and I'm going to give you a lot of illustrations or examples on that, but basically Hollywood stimulates and appeals to the flesh, and people are just going with it. And then you look at, I think the third main um, influence is dead religion, or false religion. Because you've got man's philosophy that appeals to the mind. You've got Hollywood and entertainment appeals to the flesh. And dead religion soothes the conscience. You know, we know we're not supposed to be doing what these things are promoting. We know we should stand <clears throat> against it and not be a part of it. And so we go to church, and when you're a part of a church that doesn't teach the truth, that doesn't come against those things, that doesn't teach God's word, you know, and challenges that because you've got, you know, a bunch of... 
I don't know, I'll be careful what I call them, but, but you got a bunch of preachers who just basically want to keep everybody happy. So they're not going to say anything that's going to upset you. And, and here's the thing, if I never say, not that I want to upset you, but if I never challenge you, God's word challenges me. Every time I go to it, it, it calls to my attention. It brings into the light some of the things in my life and go, I don't need to be a part of this. I don't need to go along with this. Or, or it convicts me of, I need to make a stand. I need to say that. That's what Jesus did. He didn't go around trying to make everybody mad, but simply speaking the truth, being an example of the truth, always, always showing love and graciousness through that. But listen to me. Whether you're a leader in a church, whether you're a leader in a community, in this nation, in your family, at your job, you should and have to, if you're a, if you're a child of God, you gotta make some stands. If you just bow down and go along with everything, then you're gonna become just like what this nation is becoming and accepted as normal. And think about this. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter one, <clears throat> a lot of the sins you can read it later that, that people are involved in and, and all those things. And it's, it says not only do they know that they're going to be judged, but those who basically just accept it and go along with it. You know, one of the things that just blowed my mind and, and stirred a lot of this message was last weekend, me and my wife, we went out uh, to the hill country. We went to a bed and breakfast. And, and that's you know, we don't have TV at the house, so... For us, it's like, hey, let's watch TV. I, we never watch TV, so it's like, wow, to us. And and uh, and so we miss a lot of stuff over, you know, even just a few months. So I turn on the TV, and we're watching, um, what's that deal called? Shark Tank, yeah. Mr. Wonderful, I'm telling you, I'll bust him right in my mouth. Anyhow, that has nothing to do with my mind. But anyhow, we're watching Shark Tank. And, you know, and there's not, nothing wrong with the show. Nothing, I didn't see nothing, you know, ungodly or nothing on the ones that we watch. But the commercials, listen to me parents, you might say, well my kids, I'll let my kids watch this. You better be aware of what they're seeing on the commercials. It blowed my mind. In 30 minutes I saw probably four or five commercials and in some of them it was real sneaky how they did it. It was a, an insurance commercial where they, two men were standing there and they was holding hands with a kid beside them promoting homosexuality which is a blatant sin against God. And, and, and there was four or five commercials there. I don't even go into it because someone was so filthy and I was just like, I was, I was wanting to just destroy the TV. And, and what, how it promotes it. And here's the thing. You as an adult, you as a grandparent might sit there and go, that's awful. Huh? You know better. But if you let your kids sit there and watch it, and they just watch it, and nothing's ever said, and it's accepted, you know what they're going to think when they get to be an adult? There's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way things is. It's just the way things are. I'm going to tell you, that's not the way things are. Another thing that I, that I saw was drug and alcohol use. Man, it's an epidemic proportion in this country. You can have your own opinion. I'll tell you what the Bible says. I think alcohol is as wicked as wicked gets. Now, I know I'm going to have a lot of people hacked off of me saying that. And, and don't come at me with the whole Jesus turn of water and a wine argument because it won't hold water in a barrel. Okay, alcohol is wicked, drug use is wicked, it produces wickedness, nothing ever comes good of any of that. What you do is your business, I understand that, but please never come to me and try to justify it with the scripture because it won't stand. And for all these preachers, let me say it publicly, who stand in the pulpit and try to justify and say that it's good, it's not good. It's of the devil, it's darkness, it doesn't produce anything that's good, and if you don't like that and want to leave the church over it, whatever. That's where I'm at, okay? 
That don't mean I don't love you. And that don't mean if you do that that I think you're wicked. I just think you're going to do some reaping. We just cut half the crowd, all right? Some people ask me, where do you stand on that? That's where I stand. And you know, and I, pastors want to try to soothe people's conscience and all that stuff. I'm like, man, shut up and stand where you ought to stand. That's where I stand. And and then here's the third thing. And I know I'm kind of jumping around, but I want, to, I want you to listen to this morning. The way men and women are projected on TV and in our culture, I'm going to say this without trying to be ugly. Women, don't let Hollywood tell you how you should act, how you should live, how you should dress. Because the way TV projects a woman, the, see how can I say that? The Bible would call most of that, let's say a prostitute. That's what, that's what society wants to project women to be high class, in control, lording over men prostitutes that dress in a way that, that depicts what the Bible would call filthiness. And if you let Hollywood tell you that's the way you should dress or you let society tell you that's the way you should dress and treat your husband and act and do that, then you're acting like a prostitute. According to the scripture. Now I'm not saying you do that. I don't think the women here do that by no means. But listen to me. And the men. Men are projected as women. You know just spineless. You know stupid. Not the women are stupid. Let me say that. But, the, but, but they make out the man to be so dumb. And so stupid. And so weak. And, and, he, and you know he just. He's an absolute moron. And, and you know what. Men in our culture are buying into that. You know, let the women do everything. They should, and I'll say this, I am going to rant. I pray, Lord, please don't let me rant this morning, but I'm going to rant just a little bit. Not on TV, but I also watched when we was going to a couple of different restaurants and looking, and I just wanted to see who was praying, that kind of stuff. And there was, there was a lot of people I saw that was praying. But here's the discouraging thing. When they would gather up and pray, you know, I seen some that would hold hands, and then some couples, 90% of the time it was the woman praying. Like, what's up with that? You jelly-spined men? And I'll say that. I mean, if you're here, let me say, I'm not trying to be ugly, but if you're here and you're ashamed to pray with your wife in public and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you pray. That's weak. Man, that's as weak as it gets. You know, if you don't like that, come tell me afterwards. But, but men, we're called. We're held accountable, not the wife. The wife is not to lead in the leadership role and go, well, you know what, I just don't do that out loud. Well, maybe you just need to do that. Maybe you need to start today doing that and leading your family in the way that God's Word says lead it. And if you get mad about that, get mad at God's Word because He's the one that's going to hold you accountable. Anyhow, now that everybody's good and swole up, you know I love you and I ain't trying to be ugly, but come on, man, be a man. Be a man of God. But anyhow, I'm about to get to my text. After about a half hour watching that, I looked at my wife and I said, we are so going to hell. We are so going to hell. She's like, yeah. Maybe you don't see that and maybe, maybe you need to turn off TV for about three months and then turn it back on to see where you're at, okay? Because when I look at that, I go, and, and here's the sad part. This nation is, there are so many people, there are people in church everywhere who have an absolute, they're clueless about the gospel. We drove by one of the churches out there in Hill Country, a huge church. Had a, I mean, it had a magnum sign out front that said, no rules, just Jesus. 
what? What exactly does that mean? How does that go with the scripture? Does that mean you can live however you want to? And just Jesus loves you. Thinking that's great. Love people all the way to hell because that's where you're sending them with that message. Understand that. And here's the scary thing. When you, if you really take God's word, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on this for a minute. You know, Christianity, I want you to have an awesome marriage, and I want you to have a great family, and I want your kids to honor you, and I want you to overcome battles in your life, and, and I want all this stuff, but if you get down to just the core of it, what good would it do for me to go to Paul Pesky's house today and give him a lesson on what it means to be a good husband? Or, hey, here's how you need to do your finances. Or, or this is how you need. He don't care. And it doesn't, ultimately, every single person here, you will face a day of standing before the Lord of Judgment. We're all going to die, and you're going to one place or the other, and you will be there for all eternity. If you were a good husband, if you went to church all the time, if you handled your finances correctly, all those things, that doesn't mean anything in the light of where is my soul going to be when I breathe my last, which could be today. I've been to a couple of funerals in the last little bit. And funerals always shake me because I go, why do I spend a lot of time preaching some of the things that I preach, counseling some of the things that I counsel, when it all boils down to this moment right here? And when you look at that moment right there, you got to, I mean, even me, I, I, I look and go, that kind of shakes me because I want to make sure that I've got the truth and that I'm teaching the truth. Because when I study the scripture on the, and the, the subject nobody wants to deal with, when I look at hell, I go, that horrifies me. To think, and, and some of you are sitting here going, yeah, I'm, and I, hopefully so. I'm glad I'm saved, I'm not going there. But, but think about this. What about the person right next to you? Because you don't know their heart. You might think you do, but you don't know their heart. What would it be if you just lived a life like the world, you came to church, you were pretty moral, you did these things, you took care of your business how you're supposed to, but what would it be like for you, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's your grandkid, maybe it's your husband and wife, what would it be like to know on the day of judgment that you had to watch them who you thought was okay? And you didn't never challenge it. You didn't live a life that would, that would cause them to search their own heart to go, why does my husband love Jesus so much and I don't have that? Why is it my, my grandparents, you know, have such a, uh, uh, you know, this is what God's doing. Life. I don't see it. Why is it I can go on living like the devil and I'm saying I'm a Christian and we should live a life that causes people to check themselves. What would it be like on the day of judgment that you never asked them? You never lived an example to them. You never even cared enough that you watched your baby be cast into the lake of fire. Or your husband who you've married to for 40 years to hear the Lord say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You're going to torment in flames for all eternity. There is no second chances. There is no love, no grace, no light, no truth in hell. People, listen to me. When you die, you're going to be in one place or other. I want that to register this morning. When we talk about our country being in judgment, we're not just talking about Muslims taking us over. We're talking about people dying and facing eternity. And Christianity, Jesus didn't die so you could have a better, you know, financial outcome. And I think a lot of believers today, what we're doing is, like Ms. Tanya did when I was remodeling her house. 
I'm in there demolition, tearing stuff up. Every day she comes in, and I'm glad she did. Sweeping, cleaning, come back in the next day, and I'm tearing it up thinking, you're wasting your time doing all this cleaning because this house is coming down. And I think a lot of us, we're in the world and we just want to clean everybody up. You know, we want to get the, we, we want to get the weeds out of the pond when we ought to be fishing. Because the dam's broke. When the house is burning down, when the bulldozers are coming to demolish a condemned house, you don't hang pictures and paint. You get the people that's inside out. And I think as Christians, we bought into this whole gimmick of, we just want, Jesus just came to make life better. He's just added, he's the sweet and low of your life. And he just wants to make you happy and, and bless you and you can have all this money and this greatness and, and all this stuff. But, but here's my question. My concern is not all that. I hope you have a happy life, but here's my concern. When I stand before you, if you stood in this church, I want the Lord to be able to say, did you tell them the truth? Did you love them enough that you, that you challenged their life? That you hacked them off with the message of the gospel sometimes? That you called their sin into question? That you called their soul into question? Because what good did it do for you to feather up a message so everybody could say, man, that was great, and now he faces eternity and he's gonna fry? That's reality. And that's what Jesus went to the cross for. And you know what? We've, we, we're in a place in this country, and I think we're in a place in a lot of churches, and maybe you're in a place in your own personal life and your family, and I'm in a place where I'm out of time and didn't even get going good, but I'm going to give you this really quick. I don't like to say doom and gloom. And Judah was in a place of doom and gloom. So I'm going to challenge this morning because i got to cut it off. I'm going to challenge the young generation. How many here, I want to see a raise of hands. How many here is under 30? Raise your hands. Praise God, we've got a church full of people under 30. Maybe you're sitting there and you probably got little babies, or you're going to have little babies maybe, okay? If you're like Jeremy, just imagine, just keep having babies. <laughs> Anyhow. I ain't going to say nothing. Anyhow. They take the word of God serious when it said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Love my grandbabies, but but here's the thing, I, you know I don't like to I don't want none of y'all young people leave and go man we don't have no hope and it's just the world's condemned. Judah was condemned, and all of a sudden it says Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. 25 years old, a new generation is rising. I don't care what the church down the road's doing. If they're dead or alive, I hope they're alive. But but listen to me. I, I want to know what this church is doing, and I want to know what you are doing to impact your generation. You can look and blame it on us, and we'll take a lot of the blame for the, for the condition where we're at, okay? And the, and the generation prior to me. The church is in a place because of its leadership. Let's be real. But we don't have to stay there, and I ain't cutting old people off, and I'm part of that group. We're going to rise up too. But in the younger generation, here's what I want to ask. Hezekiah, give me five minutes, people. Hezekiah, okay? He comes in, and we'll go over this in the next few weeks. He totally reforms the country, and he starts with the temple. He starts with getting things in order with the Lord. And I want you to see why he started. In verse 8 it says, Therefore, all of these things that the fathers had done, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. We can look at our country, we can look at the condition of most families, and we can go, "Mm, we're we're in trouble. But look at this. He says, 
For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and daughters and wives are in captivity. Now, let's talk about now. Now it is in where my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away. You say, what would cause a 25-year-old young man who had all the power, all the freedom, and all the authority that he could have been just like his wicked daddy? He could have chased after every and any ungodly thing that he wanted to do. He had no accountability. He was king, 25 years old, set free to do whatever with all kinds of money and people under him and servants. And yet this young man, the first thing he thought of was, I want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. That's called deep inward conviction. That's what's missing in the churches today. People who say, I'm not molded by the, the culture. I'm not going to be molded by other people. I'm not just going to do what every other believer is doing. In my heart, when nobody else is around and I have freedom and I have the power, I want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Where is the conviction in the old generation, in the younger generation to go? Somebody's got to stand. Somebody's got to bring about a reformation. Somebody's got to bring about a revival. And though I might not be the only one involved, I will be involved. I will stand, and I will speak, and I will say, and I will do what I can do in the area that God has placed me, with the people that God has put me over, and I will be counted for the righteousness of God where is that conviction rather than and my mom and daddy make me go to church I go because I feel guilty I'll go just to blah 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 where are the people who rather than just going to church to go we have got to do something to bring back where are the and really quick notice where did this come from where was the influence because listen to me parents you can't impose conviction on your kids or your grandkids doesn't happen you can impose it for a little while, but then they're going to turn 18 and they're going to get freedom and authority. So where did it come from? didn't come from his daddy. Notice this young generation had a wicked daddy, but he didn't act like him. The influence of his daddy gave him conviction to go, I don't want to live like that. Maybe you have a parent. This is a really good hope for split families. Maybe you've got one parent that is righteous like his mama was. Abijah, whose name means God is my father. Whose, whose daddy was Zacharias, who was a priest. Whose lineage was David, who was a man after God's own heart. He saw his mama. He saw his grandparents. He saw David in the example that he said. He saw the lives they live. He watched them and he saw God through their lives. Then he looked at his dad who was wicked and godless and chased after any and everything in the world. And you can imagine his mama was probably worried that he was going to walk in the foots of his daddy. But the power of God was far greater than the power of the world. And he saw his dad and said, I don't want what he's got. And listen to me, don't, don't go crippling on your, your parents and go, well, this is what they are, so that's the way I'm going to be. You don't have to be that way. You can let that influence put a conviction in your heart to go, you know what? I don't want the way that this person or that person lives, and I'm going to let that negative influence cause me to be positive in the way that I go, and I'm moving away from that, and I'm going to serve the God who is the only God. And so, giving you that, man... As grandparents, 
You say, where, where's my fight in this battle? Or parents, where's my fight in this battle? Because I'm not a preacher. I hear that all the time. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. Well, you're a grandparent. And you're a parent. And you're a leader. And you influence. And that might be your only battle. But what are you doing with that battle? How are you influencing your kids and your grandkids for Jesus? What good does it do for you to give them all the good stuff? I love to give good stuff. What good does it do for you to give them all? I mean, send my kids to Yale University, all five of them. All doctors and lawyers and they drive, you know, Mercedes and they drive Ferraris and they live in 14 bedroom houses. They got four swimming pools and, and all this stuff. What if they stand before God and God says, you had all that stuff, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What good did you do as a parent then? What good did you do as a grandparent when you never influenced your kids or your grandkids for Jesus? You have that gift and that power and you have the same thing that he had. To make the right decisions to go, listen kids, I don't care what little Johnny and his sister's doing, we ain't. We're going to do something good, we're going to have fun, we're going to do it better, and we might even do it bigger. But we ain't doing that, and we ain't wearing that, and we ain't going there, and we're not skipping out. But we're going to do what God has to do, and I want to show you, and here's the influence. The difference between imposing, I'm done after this, I know I'm going a long time, you'll get over it. The time watchers will leave with the people who got hacked off at the first of the message. <laughs> but here's the thing. Imposing means, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Bible. Some of you might be sitting here and go, well, after I get out of church day, I'm fixed to take that Bible and I'm gonna whoop my kids with it. That's imposing. That's, don't you know the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and I'm all about speaking God's Word, but not using it as a hammer. And, and you know what? You're gonna, you're gonna do this and you're gonna go to church and listen to me. I don't buy into the whole thing where we just let our kids choose. Well, you need to choose for your kids until they become adults, okay? It's called leadership. Here's the difference between imposing and influencing. Influencing is when you raise your kids up and you are so walking with the Lord and seeing God's goodness that you can go, did y'all see that? Did you see how good God is? I got to tell you this and, and I'm done. You know, Jeremy's truck motor blowed up. Last week in his Toyota, it didn't have a whole lot of miles on it. For some reason, it just blowed up. And they still owe $8,000 on it and a new motor and all that stuff to have it put in is about $5,000. And at the same time, his Jeep messed up. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty wild week. And some people act like, well, y'all just never have nothing happen. Yeah, right. Hang around for a minute. I just, I just the good stuff. So all this happens, and he's kind of worked up. And I started praying. You know, everybody's praying. And I pray, God, will you please show him? who you are in a way that nobody can take credit for it and so they discussed and, and what they was going to do and he called me last night and said you know dad was it's going to cost this and that da 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 and me and maddie was talking about it and said so she just thought i'll just put it on facebook a, tr- a truck with a blowed up motor for sale i thought brilliant and he said we put it on there for sale he said the phone started ringing off the wall and he sent me a text a man sent a text and said, I've got cash money. I'll pay off your truck and take it just like it is right now. One after another. They actually had to go, okay. And the truck sold within minutes as far as I understand. 
And Jeremy's like, Dad, that's crazy. And like, God, you are crazy. And I said, write this down, boy. I want you to write this down. Because that's the hand of God. Now, some of you might go, yeah, blah, blah, whatever. It's the hand of God at my house, people. And I want to acknowledge that God is so good. And while you was back here on Monday, you know, your gut's turning, wondering what you're going to do. God's already been this Saturday. You young people don't see that. Y'all don't see that. Where's your conviction to go, man? I love God. Because He is, I'm sorry, He is so good. I don't need anybody to hold me accountable. What I need is I just need more time and more opportunity to declare the goodness of God because He is who He says He is and He'll do what He says He does. So if you're here this morning, maybe you need to make a change and a turn in your life. And maybe you're here and when I talked about eternity, it didn't make you feel real good. By all means, if you miss everything else in the message, get this. You will one day die. I know y'all don't like talking about this, but one day your day is coming. You will die. Your body will fall over wherever it's at. Somebody will pick you up, cremate you, you know, pump you up a fluid, whatever it is they're going to do. Roll you up here in front of this church and your body will lay here in a coffin. We will cry over you. I'll preach a good message, hopefully over you. You won't even be there. Your soul will be in one of two places. You'll be in torment for all eternity. Or you'll be in the glory of God's presence. Because you chose either one of two things. You trusted in Jesus' love and what he did for you on the cross. And you humbled yourself and you, and you called upon the Lord and you trusted him. Or you just didn't need that stuff. If you die without Christ, you'll have no hope. I don't care what you became in this life. To die and go to hell would be horrible. I would hate that for anybody. It's the very thing that drives me to preach for an hour. But if that hour ticks you off and causes you to trust Jesus, then I'll tick you off every Sunday. If you're here today, listen to me. I ain't asking you. I want to make this very plain this morning. I'm not asking you to come up here. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to get in front of everybody. Maybe right there where you sit, maybe God's Spirit's telling you, you're lost, and I want to save you. Will you just, right where you are, humble yourself before God and be honest, and trust in the Lord. Give your heart to Jesus right there. He'll take it right where you are.